This is from Acts 9:20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Um, so go ahead and pick up with me right now. We are in Acts 9, 20 through 31, but um, I'm actually gonna kinda, kinda trick you, and we're gonna, we're, gonna, we're gonna go back to verse 18 real quick because it, uh, it, it applies incredibly well to us. So beginning in verse 18, read along with me. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food he was strengthened. And then going on, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? So we see a key word there, right? A couple times, do you, do you know what it is? Verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose, and the, though the word's not there, the, the, the theme of immediacy continues. He rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. And then down in verse 20, immediately he begins proclaiming his faith. So you see here this guy Saul. Let's remember that if you were reading through Acts here, you would see from the very beginning there, you would be reminded that Acts chapter nine started with this guy breathing threats. That means like the very, the very life that he lived was, was anti-Christ, anti-Jesus. And then after seeing Jesus, he is immediately transformed and he responds and puts his faith in him. And then you see there again, he, he, he is prayed for and, and, and even symbolically there, his eyes are opened. And he now sees the good news that all of life is all for Jesus that all of life is to be lived out of his faith, this, this new relationship he has with God through his faith in the risen Jesus. And then he's baptized. And as we celebrate baptisms this morning, let's, um, let, let's, let's recognize maybe something in our culture that is very distant from what we're seeing here in Acts chapter nine this morning. And even a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter eight, you see that the transformation that comes through faith in Jesus, that, 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 that someone responds instantly. There is a life of devotion and of surrender to Christ. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter eight saw the gospel and it was explained to him and then he put his faith in Jesus and he said, oh, here's some water, what's preventing me from being baptized? And then similarly here in chapter nine, Saul sees Jesus, responds in faith, and before he eats, right, look with me, verse, verse, uh, verse 18, immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight, then he rose and was baptized. And then taking food, he was strengthened. 
Right? Some of us in our approach to our faith is like, ah, oh, sprinkle a little Jesus onto my life. You know, it'll, it'll be good to see kind of, you know, I'll try it out for a while and then we'll kind of go from there. And even baptism that is, that is a commandment from Jesus and that is an incredible gift, that is an act of obedience and participating in the gift that he has given us as a reminder to equip us and empower us to live the life of following Christ that he has called us into to remember that we, we are able to now fight sin, to resist temptation because we have this picture, this reminder of being dead to sin and raised again to new life in Christ. And, and, and as I disciple my own children and I get to parent them and even when we discipline them occasionally or when they call me out on my sin occasionally and we walk through these things that baptism is meant to be a picture of that of hey, you don't have to live this life that you're living right now. You don't have to be enslaved to this sin. You don't have to be that way. Remember, you are alive in Christ. That You're no longer in, in, in bondage or shackled to that sin that you're right now choosing to live out and participate. Repent, confess your sin, and live the life, the resurrected life, the baptistic identity that you now have. But we often treat it as like, a wedding, which is a whole nother deal, right? We could get into that. Like, uh, let me wait until the stars align and all my fans and celebrities can be here. And now I'm not making fun of this, okay? I'm not like, a lot of us are being baptized today and it's incredibly significant and it should be something you want your family to be at, you want your community to participate in, to, we're gonna talk about that and it's an incredible gift. But some of us like put it on hold for years and years and years and don't have this sense of immediacy here. And let me even say or ask, is that reflective of an inward heart condition of your response to Jesus? Is there a sense of, let me give it a minute, let me take it slowly. Now on the flip side, let me say something here because some of us I know, we, the pendulum goes to both extremes, right? And some of us need to hear that. We need to hear like, oh yeah, I have just approached Jesus as kind of a sprinkle Jesus in where I see fit and we need to be convicted. Now some of you others though are hearing me say this and are thinking like instant perfection, right? And that's not, as we walk through Acts, you're gonna see that Saul can, continues to learn things as he goes, that, that he calls out people uh, for their sin and he's called out as well. And there's this whole process going on there I'm struggling with this, right? You guys with me there? Um, okay, so let me just keep trying to get it right here. And if I have to, if I have to go back to the mic, I will. Um, but uh, but, but um, there, there's a, a real transformation that shows up in life. Okay, and so I wanna ask us here, do we live out of, are you living out of that immediate transformation that happens by putting your faith in Jesus? There, let me read a quote here and share this this morning. I actually heard it just this last week, and it says this. It's by a man, Doug Gropp, and he's actually quoting John Calvin or referring to something John Calvin said, and here's what, what, uh, what he says. For many, faith is the intellectual assent to a set of beliefs rather than a real embodied knowledge of God. Let me say that again. For many, faith is simply the intellectual assent to a set of beliefs rather than a real embodied knowledge of God. A real embodied knowledge of God and his character and his goodness and his grace experienced 
lived out, responded to, results in immediate transformation. And Saul, we see that, that's what takes place here. And then as we continue on here, this transformation to some people is offensive and he now experiences immediate persecution. Okay, uh, pick up with me in verse, uh, in verse 20, 22. Actually, 23. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates, the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now Saul's facing something that most likely many of us in here won't experience. When you put your faith in Jesus, he right away experiences persecution that could mean he's gonna lose his life, that people are gonna kill him. Now let's recognize that's reality for a lot of people around the world. That for many people, this decision, this response, this baptism is scary. You could be abandoned by your parents, you could be disowned by your parents, you could experience, there could literally now be a bounty on your head for your faith in Jesus. And that's what Saul's experiencing here. So you might be wondering, well how does this apply to us today? Well one, maybe we need to be praying and be aware of what others around the world experience is a very common reality of what it means to put your faith in Jesus and the implications, the life and death reality and implications that means on their own lives. So perhaps we could be praying, we could be more aware and be more humble and maybe even be grateful for what we have and not take that as something to be grasped or something to become arrogant or entitled through, but to, but to be grateful and to use as good stewards and to pray for others and to, and to, uh, and to thank God for the, the many blessings and gifts we have that our faith might result in persecution but not to that level, though it may. But also, there is a persecution when you put your faith in Jesus, as is the case here with Saul, right, the people that should have been closest to him, other Jewish people, right? Paul was a Jew, we hear this talk about just earlier in this chapter, he's breathing threats of persecution. Don't miss the irony that now, like 20 verses later, people wanna kill him. Okay, there, there's a transformation that takes place in your heart that you're going this way, everyone's like, hey, attaboy, you're cool, that's great, right, I'm right behind you, and then you would think that the people closest to you would be most prone to celebrate your new faith, this transformation in your life. But that's not always the case, is it? For some of us who put our faith in Jesus, perhaps even older in our age and in our lives, maybe you experience this kind of persecution, if you will. Um, a, a story that came to mind for me was my dad, who's not a follower of Jesus, he wouldn't identify as a Christian, but he had been an alcoholic for many, many years in his life. And at a point when I was a lot younger, he decided to stop drinking. He wanted to, you know, no longer be enslaved to alcoholism, to kind of give that up and to, and to try to, you know, love his family and weed his family well and, and, and forsake alcoholism. And I remember him telling me a story that when he did that, one of his closest friends from childhood, someone he'd known since he was like five or six years old, a neighbor, that here he is now in his like 40s or 50s, 
This friend called him up. Hey, Dave. His name's also Dave. Hey, Dave, let's go out. Let's go, you know, grab a drink. Let's go do our old thing, right? We've been, and my dad said, hey, I'd love to hang out. Let's get together. Um, but here's the deal. I'm not drinking anymore. I've, you know, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of horrible things going on in my family and my life because of that. So I'm not drinking, but I'd love to get together. You know, you can have a beer or whatever, but I'm not gonna. And his friend, lifelong childhood friend, said, man, same old guy. Why do you always have to try to be better than everyone else and hung up on him. And and six years later, when my dad did return to drinking for a season, guess who was one of the first people to call him back? Oh, old Dave, like I knew, hey, let's go out. Let me get you that beer again. And now, first of all, right, we could talk about friendship and all kinds of stuff there. But even there in my dad's life, even as a non-believer, as a follower of Christ, he experienced that kind of resistance as he was on a, a trajectory of growth, of health. How much more when you put your faith in Jesus might you experience, even from loved ones, perhaps even family, saying, I don't get it. I'm, we're told in scripture you can be, that, that, that the cross of Jesus is offensive even, right? That it's, that it's offensive, it's silly and foolish to some. It's attractive and some people wanna know more and we pray that's the case and those in our lives that we come alongside. But for many, it's offensive. It's like, why, why, why I don't get it? I don't want anything to do with it. And the very people that we would think would be most compelled to ask questions and to wanna know more about this Jesus who's transformed our lives and there are immediate implications of that. There's now immediate persecution and resistance. In fact, let me just share a couple of verses with us this morning that um, I think they're gonna be up here on the screen, but let me just kind of read through them quickly. A few places where we see that we can expect resistance and persecution. In 2 Timothy 3.12, the author, kind of funny, the same guy, Saul, his name's changed to Paul. We'll get there, okay, in a few weeks. But his name is changed and he writes the majority of the new Testament, almost half of the New Testament, and he writes all these books and these letters. Well, this book, 2 Timothy, he writes this, and he says this, everybody who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. You think as Saul, this guy we're even looking at right now in Acts chapter nine, you think as he wrote that many years later to his young disciple, apprentice, Timothy, that he even thought of what he's experiencing here? immediately after his faith, the people he probably expected to respond most quickly, fellow Jews, fellow countrymen, fellow, fellow people who shared his convictions and now he's experienced his transformation and shares the good news with them and they're offended, even to the point of wanting to take his life. And then in Matthew we see um, Jesus himself saying, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. And then again, Jesus saying in John chapter 13, I'm sorry, chapter 15, if they persecuted me, will they not also persecute you? They persecuted me, so you'll be persecuted also. Jesus, who we just spent a couple days, or all week, and Lord willing, every day of every week, considering the history-altering, life-shaping reality of Jesus fully God and fully man, God the Son descending to the earth, taking on human flesh, living among us as one of us, and then laying his life down, his, his taking the humiliation and the punishment of death that you and I deserve on the cross, and then victoriously raising from the dead, 
God, the creator of all things, Jesus, saying, come and follow me, and in so doing, understand, they, they persecuted me and they will persecute you also. But Jesus says, I love enough that I continue on, I persevere, I pursue. Though you may be enemies of God now, Jesus sends his incredible love. He's referred to as the hound of heaven. His relentless, unrelenting love displayed even amidst persecution. And he says, so now as you, my followers, carry this good news, this same good news to others, expect resistance. But be so grounded in my love for you and in my love for them that you continue to share this good news, that you are now able to continue to persevere. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, run with endurance the race that has been set before you as you're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who also continue to persevere in the face of of persecution to share this good news. Now you continue but not just through your own strength, not by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, not by trying to be a good Christian, by doing what you think. No, but because as you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, you are now able to continue to persevere in the face of persecution, even to the point of death, to the point of mockery, to the point of sad separation and brokenness, trusting that perhaps Jesus will reconcile. And we, we have families in here that are pictures of that, reconciling work, the good news of Jesus. Through one person putting their faith in Christ, even there's gonna be a couple people here baptized today who, who fall into that category where one trusted Jesus and then experienced some mockery and some separation and then her son put his faith in Jesus and now they're gonna be baptized here together this morning. That's one of many stories. The good news of Jesus brings immediate transformation and yet expect there will be persecution from without, from outside. And now let's look. There's also questioning of the authenticity of Saul's faith from within the church. I hate to admit that might ever happen, but I think we need to learn this morning even here about what kind of church God is calling us to be here by looking at this story. So now we're picking up in verse 26. And when he, again that Saul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him, but they did not believe that he was a disciple. He had a reputation and people questioned the authenticity of his faith. But look here, picking up in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Like you gotta believe that was scary, right? Like this guy, everyone knows Saul's reputation. He's taking Christians and taking them to be put in prison and even stoned to death. And so Barnabas, everyone else is afraid, and then this guy Barnabas is like, hey, let me take you to these apostles. Like you gotta believe in the back of his mind, he's like, I'm walking alone with this guy. There's this dark alley. Maybe he's gonna like, maybe they're right. Maybe he's gonna, you know, kind of sneak attack me and take me to, and put me in prison. But Barnabas has such a, a clear understanding of the good news of Jesus and of God's power and authority that he sees this transformation in Saul's life. And he says, let me, let, let's just, let's see. Let's see what God can do. 
I know it doesn't make sense, I know it's scary, but let's see, he takes him before the apostles and he declared to them all the good things that happened and how Saul was converted and how he put his faith in Jesus. We see that in verse 27 and and 28. But let's pause for a moment. This Saul, okay, right? How many of you have heard of Paul, the apostle Paul? Okay, most hands in here. How many of you have, if some of these books, like if you've ever read the New Testament, again, 50% chance, almost certainly you've read or heard something written by this guy, Paul, the Apostle Paul. Well, let's not forget that there are some moments here, some like hinge point moments in his early faith where God uses apparent nobodies, okay? Before this time, I'm not gonna ask a show of hands, but probably many of us, if I said, how many of you have heard of Ananias? The one in chapter nine, not the one in chapter five. Some of us might even heard of it. Different Ananias, same name, unfortunate, I know. But so Ananias in chapter nine. How many of us have heard of Barnabas? He's even a little bit more well-known, but remember here, Ananias, okay? Saul meets Jesus, is blinded, struck by the light here, can't see anything, and then there's kind of a timeout in the story. This is what we talked about last week, and we didn't fully get into Ananias, but Jesus then reveals himself to Ananias, again, an apparent nobody. We don't hear very much more about him, and he says, Ananias, you go connect the dots for Saul. Help him understand his faith, and then pray for him. And then we just read in verses 18, of chapter nine in 1920, right? Scales fall, he regains his sight, he's baptized. We don't know who baptized him, potentially Ananias. And then he goes on, right, and becomes the Apostle Paul, and the majority of the rest of the book of Acts is written. We hear all about Paul and all the crazy stuff he does, and, you know, people are bitten by snakes. He's bitten by snakes. Dudes fall out of windows, and he, you know, makes sure they're okay and prays for them to raise from the dead and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. We all know about Paul, but... We love saying something here. Hear me, okay, look at me on this because you see this reflected here. Life is naturally supernatural. What that means is we don't know how God's gonna work and who he might use. You don't know what kind of conversation you might have as you're in line to get some coffee, as you're talking to someone here. Someone might be holding up the wall over there and, and, and you're compelled as you walk by to engage, to share eye contact, to have a conversation, to share your story, to pray with them, to ask more about them, to ask them out to lunch, to live normal, again, natural, everyday life. All the while, the author of the story, the sovereign God who we worship and surrender to and trust is working out this incredible plan. And Barnabas here, right, steps up. Again, he's not nearly as famous as Paul, right? We don't all know about Barnabas. We don't think Barnabas probably didn't write any of the books of the New Testament. Almost certainly there are a couple we don't know the author of, but it's almost sure it wasn't Barnabas. I'm getting all nerdy seminary on you, okay? That's not, you don't need to know all that stuff. But we all know Barnabas is not like, he's not making headlines, but he's faithful. And he has his own journey and his own faith and his own trust in Jesus that plays out in from our perspective, landmark situations here with Saul. If Barnabas doesn't step up here, what would have happened to Saul? Yes, we know God's sovereign, God's in control, God would have worked it out, But again, from our human perspective, the faithfulness of Ananias, the faithfulness of Barnabas compels this guy, Saul, this all-star, if you will. 
I don't think God's any more impressed with Saul or Barnabas or Ananias or any other character because they're all pictures of God's grace on display. And let's not forget too here, again as we read there, let's identify with this church. Maybe we arrogantly look down our noses at these people, right? It says they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. And it goes on, right? And so these are followers of Jesus. And remember who Saul is, okay? Those of you who were here last week, we got the idea that in our day, you could give him the title of a radical, militant, religious extremist, right? We use those words, those terms for other people in our world today, right? And, 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 and that's who Saul was. He was on a mission. He was antichrist. He hated God's people. He was putting people to death. And then all of a sudden, Jesus reveals himself, and there's a transformation. And the question comes here that I think is a question we need to consider even this morning is, is the church a safe place for people who are transformed by God's grace to come and grow as disciples, as followers of Jesus, to come and be prayed for and welcomed in and encouraged? Man, are, are we that kind of church that would be afraid, that would say, I don't know about them? Hey, ask yourself, who, who represents being outside of the potential for God's grace to bring real transformation? Who, who is it? What category of person, if they show up here and want to worship alongside you and be baptized and come and take communion, maybe some of our low view of God and of his grace and the potential for the incredible transformation that he could bring would prevent us from saying, this is the place you should be. You should come here. The good news of Jesus is so saturated here. The, the incredible transforming work of God is so on display here that, that whoever you are, you're simply a trophy of God's grace. Just like me, just like you. That that's who the church would be. As Jesus even says, a place where people who are sick and need a doctor can come and find healing and health and forgiveness and hope. That that's who he came to save and to rescue and to form into a people. Perhaps even as I say that, different groups of people come to mind for you and perhaps even yourself. All right, maybe some of us say, uh, I don't know, I'm a, little, I'm a little skeptical of that kind of crazy testimony. I'm a little skeptical like someone put their faith in Jesus and they're over there and they're crazy, they're radical and I don't know, you know, they did all these things. They had, you know, they were in prison, they killed people, they were addicted to drugs, they were womanizers, they were, you know, whatever, involved in different groups on campus at the U of A or they lived this way and surely they can't they can't be recipients of this kind of transforming grace of Jesus, surely not over there. And maybe we need to check ourselves. Maybe again, some of us view ourselves that way. Let me encourage you right now, look at me. According to what we've already seen and will continue to see, no one is outside of the realm and the reach of the saving, rescuing, hope-giving good news of Jesus, amen? including you. I don't know your story. I don't know what's been done to you. I don't know what you've done. 
But I guarantee you that is even today you stand before God or you look at this cross and you see people being baptized and whatever it is that you bring to the table and you say, you don't know about me, surely not me. Jesus says, no, my faith is sufficient. Come, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. God demonstrates his own love that while you're yet sinners, enemies, Christ died for us. That's the good news of Jesus. Now on the flip side, again, that pendulum, right? We got like, we're like swinging like Tarzan on this pendulum. Others of us, maybe, I was even talking to some people this morning, are thinking like, ah, but I have a pretty boring testimony. My story, I wasn't like on the road to Damascus, you know, breathing fire and wielding a sword and trying to kill Christians. And some of us maybe even feel the temptation to like, you know, kind of build up our testimonies and we are telling it and we're like, yeah, I know I was raised in a Christian home and I had godly parents and I don't really remember a time where I wasn't a follower of Jesus, but I was a wretched sinner and God needed to convict me of the fact that I ate Lunchables sometimes on Tuesday behind my parents' back when we all know you only eat Lunchables on Fridays, okay? And that's, and I, but I was a rebel. And man, like I needed to be rescued from that, you know? And we, or we just, we, we look for these things. I've done that. I, I came to faith at a really young age at about five or six. And thankfully, part of my story doesn't involve things that actually my own brothers have more in their stories. And even though we grew up right alongside each other and there have been times where I've felt guilty about that or felt like I needed to sprinkle some stuff into my testimony to, you know, live up to theirs or whatever. But that's so me-centered. Okay, as I joked about the homeschool family or whatever, I pray that my kids have that kind of boring, quote, boring testimony. Because let me, let me tell you, when you come face to face with Jesus as, Jesus, as we're seeing with Saul here, you, 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 you know your sin. You don't have to just think back to the lunchable moments or the whatever, like by God's grace, you still understand, I am a sinner deserving death that by thought, word, and action, the, that, the, that the very things that I've chosen to give my heart to, the, the ways I live my life, the ways I talk about other people, the places I try to muster up my ideas, identity in my own strength, right? You don't need to be, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and, you know, all this stuff to, whatever, that extreme. You don't need all that. Like, by God's grace, you come before him, and you know that you desperately need his forgiveness, whatever your background, whatever your story. So my prayer is that we would all understand that all of us have a unique story, and the main character, the hero of the story is Jesus, and that his undeserved favor, his grace, his acceptance, his forgiveness, his sacrificial death and victorious resurrection from the dead defines us. And so there's a transformation that you get to live out and be, and be a, a herald declaring the good news, the mighty works of God, which is what this whole book of Acts has been all about. God's works on display through a broken people who've been restored and redeemed, rescued by Jesus, now empowered and thriving and living out that very good news, the gospel, through the Holy Spirit whom he has sent. And that was what was true of this church, this early church 2,000 years ago, and I pray is true of us today.
God's people living out the good news of Jesus in all of life. Amen? And so now, church, as we transition here, having looked at one man's life, Saul, and seeing God's good news on display, and you see immediate transformation, immediate persecution, immediate questioning of his faith, and then we see how that fits and shapes us today in 2017 as a church in Tucson, Arizona, we now get to have a time where we celebrate baptisms. And let me share in a moment, Kate, remind me. I've got even notes, which I don't use usually, but I've got reminders here that says, like, release the parents to go get their kids, and what else? Bring your little sticker and get the kids, because that's the official you need to, we're gonna bring the kids in here for baptism. There, okay, I did it, my hands are washed. Um, No, we all all know that doesn't work. Okay, so we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna release you in a minute, but before I do, I wanna explain what we're seeing here today with baptism, okay? We talked about it with Saul. When he's baptized, what happens? It's an incredible picture and a gift from God meant to define us, to live our lives in remembrance of the day you're baptized, your baptistic identity. That through Jesus and your faith in him, there is a transformation that when you put your trust in him, your identity is now dead to sin and alive to new life through faith in Jesus. And so what's gonna happen here when these people who are baptized today, most of them have planned on it and are gonna do that, but I wanna pause and say again, similar to we saw in Acts chapter eight and even similar to what we see here in the text today, will you immediately respond in faith having seen Jesus risen from the dead. And like the Ethiopian eunuchs say, here's water, what's preventing me from being baptized? I'm a new creation in Jesus. I, I, I am now dead to sin and alive to new faith. Am I perfect? Do I get it all? Do I understand it all? Can I quote you know, miles of scripture and do all these things? No, and let me tell you, there's time. And let me tell you that when you put your faith in Jesus, that's not just stuff you have to do to check off the list, and, but, but you want to grow. You wanna live into the reality. That's what the, the big theological word is, sanctification, growing into your identity as alive in Jesus as one in Jesus, as putting your faith in him, your your trust in him, giving your life to him. Okay, there's a moment there you're justified, you're accepted, you're forgiven before almighty God. And you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart and then you're baptized. That's the picture we see all throughout scripture. And then there's this whole life of growing into that identity. Sanctification, confessing sin. We've talked a lot about this. I know there are things like right now that years from now I'll look back on and be like, wow, there was sin in my heart that compelled me to do that or to say that or to live that way and I didn't know it and, and God's grace as he always does, John, John, John Piper talks about an onion and I hate onions so this is, sticks with me. Like, like layers of an onion getting peeled back in your, in your life and you see and God exposes your need for Jesus and then reveals the good news of Jesus, the gospel, and that never stops, right? Those of you who have been following Jesus for many years, can I get an amen? Like, you're, yeah, thank, you're no less aware of your desperate need for Jesus at year 58 and 62 and 79 than you are at, you know, 22 or whatever. Like, whenever you put your faith in Jesus, you just become more and more aware and, and your worship becomes all the more informed by his incredible provision. And so, if you, even today, 
or at some point in your life have put your faith in Jesus, have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and that through him, through his death and resurrection, you too have life and acceptance and forgiveness and hope and power to live the life that God has called you to live. Then again, I would ask, here is water. What prevents you from being baptized? And what's gonna happen is the people being baptized will come up here and they'll stand over there and they'll, someone who is a, an elder or a leader, elders are always hard for me by the way, someone who leads within the church here will ask a question, do you believe in your heart and confess that God created you to bear his image and that you have sinned and turned away from him and that you are in desperate need of forgiveness? And that person will say yes. And then they'll come to the second station and they'll be asked, do you believe that, that, that God's perfect provision is Jesus? What, everything I just said, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and calls you into new life and that you are accepted and forgiven and adopted as son or daughter through faith in Jesus? And that person will say yes. And then they'll come over here to station three and they'll be asked, now will you, by the power of God the Holy Spirit whom Jesus has sent, will you live all of life, all for Jesus, all of your days through his grace? And that person will say yes and then they'll get into the trough or the baptismal, if you will. <laughs> and they will be told you're now baptized in the name and name isn't just name like you know Jesus, Joe, Dave, you know, Stephen, Philip, whatever. Name is like identity, whole being, whole accomplishment. You are now baptized. You're now, you're now dead to sin and alive in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ and raised again to new life. And then they'll be baptized and we'll all celebrate. And lastly, let me just give this instruction, is during this baptism, we always have people come up here. Can you put the picture on the screen there? This is a communal event. This isn't just individuals showing, oh, I did this, I'm baptized, okay, you know, give me, take me out to lunch, give me a, give me a cake or a certificate or whatever and I'll forget about it, but no, the picture here is similar to a wedding, is a reminder that, no, you're now your faith in Jesus and this life of faith that you're called to live is meant to be as part of God's people. There's an individual reality to that, yes, like everyone's not hopping in the tub here with you, right? But you're surrounded by community. You're, you're reminded that you're not called to live this life of faith on your own. That as you go into the water and you come out and people cheer and celebrate, there will be people all up here and we wanna invite when you come forward and take communion, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, come up here, come on the stage, come all around here like you see there and we're gonna, you can stand or sit or whatever and, and be around there and celebrate and worship and we'll be singing and this is a, a, a glorious day and a, a celebratory time again where we worship Jesus, the God of life. And so as we respond, as we do every week, if you want prayer, if you have questions about baptism, you can go to the back and, and, and people will be back there to pray with you. If you want to be baptized, you put your faith in Jesus, go over here and talk to um, Jared who will be over there. And, and then we'll respond in singing as we always do. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to, to give as well as an active discipleship as we always do in response. There are giving boxes right there. And then, again, for those who have put their faith in Jesus, if you haven't yet, I'd ask you not to participate in communion. But for those of us who have, 
come forward, take communion, because in so doing, you're saying, I identify with Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection defines me. And and then again, today there's a fifth way where there will be baptisms. And so now let me pray, let me dismiss the parents as I pray, go back and get your kids and you know, check them out with the little checkout slip and all that, and then um, bring them back in here and we'll come and we'll celebrate and we will, we will worship Jesus who brings transformation that we will see on display and respond to and celebrate right now. So let's all pray together. Again, Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus on display. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you that the, those aren't just events or holidays we, we celebrate you know, a c- couple times a year and then we forget about, but in some sense, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Sunday reminds us that Jesus rose from the dead and that all of life is defined by that history-shaping event. And Lord, I pray for everyone in here today. If there are some who have never trusted in you, who today for the first time are coming face to face with you, who you've revealed your grace, you've shown your love, you've called into a relationship with yourself, I pray that they wouldn't resist. I pray that they would say, here am I, Lord. I give my heart to you, I give my life to you. And then perhaps even say, here is water, what's preventing me from being baptized? And we'll come forward and we'll be baptized. Or if there's anyone here who has followed you, who has put their faith in you and for years and years has, has, has kind of had like something kind of hanging over their heads, they said, yeah, I've never been baptized, I don't know, that they too would, would, would realize the gift and the call that you've given to believe and be baptized. Lord, I pray for all of us, this is a significant, encouraging, worshipful time where we see your good news on display the good news of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.